the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the post-resurrection Sunday, Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us uh, on this bright, sunny April, well, cloudy, rather drizzly April afternoon. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. Glad to have you along for the ride. I want to let you know that uh, today we're going to be giving away some special passes is for a full car. So you want to put a bunch of people in your car and make your way to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Festival. We've got some passes for you. We'll be giving them away today. You can enjoy all the things that make spring in the Northwest the best. They have acres of beautiful, expansive views, fresh flowers, food, fun, and of course, tulips. And we'll be giving away passes for the remainder of this month. So listen up for an opportunity to win. There will be several of them in the course of today's program. Also, we're going to talk with Michelle Lynn Center. She's the author of The Unseen Companion, God with the Single Mother. She is, and or rather was, a single mother raising uh, several children, and she writes to those who feel uh, oftentimes overlooked, uh, abandoned, and overwhelmed, and uh, we'll give her an opportunity to talk about what she discovered along the way. So looking forward to that conversation. Well, yesterday being Resurrection Sunday, I was looking forward to a number of things, none of which panned out for the day. One of them was attending services with uh, with folks as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And I made the decision that my mom, who is no longer comfortable going to um, a, a church service where there are lots of people, she doesn't hear well. When you wear hearing aids and there's lots of background noise, it's difficult um, it becomes disorienting and it's difficult to hear private conversation when someone is speaking to you, especially if you're not familiar with their voice. It's difficult to hear when there's music. So I decided we would have our own uh, Easter Sunday morning service, which we did. And I tell you, it was just so sweet. It was just she and I, the woman who raised me, uh, sitting on the couch in her apartment. We had communion together. We sang some of the hymns. And one of the things that was so amazing to me, we sang um, uh, He Arose was to hear her voice, her 86-year-old voice, singing songs I remember hearing her sing when I was a very little girl, and um, looking over and seeing her eyes closed, and she's just worshiping, and we read through some scriptures, we both cried together, thinking about the tremendous beauty of God's grace for us, and that He uh, bore all of our sins, the ones we've already committed, the ones that we (laughs) will commit into the future, and um, how He has lavished His grace uh, upon us. And it was just a a very moving time with me and my mom and, and thoroughly enjoyed my Easter Sunday morning. I'd also anticipated having my whole family over, the rest of them, uh, for Easter uh, Sunday supper. I had the menu planned, the desserts planned. Well, it turns out that two-thirds of my family was ill, and we postponed the dinner part until next week. But it was a very different weekend than I anticipated. We were going to go, for example, on Friday night. We planned to go to Tiger Covenant for their... Um, Good Friday evening service. We have a, a couple of friends that we meet with every uh, Friday night. The uh, the wife is a recovering from a stroke. It's difficult for her to get around, and we made them the priority. We missed the service. Things didn't quite work the way that we had anticipated, but it was a beautiful weekend, 
reading God's word, uh, spending time in worship with my mom, and just reflecting on God's goodness. So whatever your Easter uh, weekend ended up um, being, I hope it was as good as mine. It wasn't anything like what I had anticipated, but it was wonderful, and primarily because Christ was at the center of it. And under those circumstances, whatever else happens doesn't really matter. Well, speaking of whatever else happens, today is the um, the eve of tax day. Tomorrow, your taxes are due, and for many people, they're scrambling at the last minute to try to get their paperwork in. wanted to share with you some of the things you need to know if you uh, are going to miss the tax deadline. I'm looking over here at Clark on the other side of the glass. I'm guessing at 12.01 on January 1st, he had already started his taxes or they were done because the guys, he's efficient, he's on it. I got mine done last week. Uh, I felt like it was early because Dan and I have, in many years, finished them the day that they're due. And we certainly, if we pay, we don't pay until the very last minute because, well, I don't need to explain that. Anyway, this year we got them done a week early, so we felt like we could just put our feet up and relax for the rest of the year. Uh, And we ended up getting a uh, refund from the federal government, which we had not anticipated, so... Man, I just, I, I don't know what to even, I don't even know what to say. But just want to remind you that because today is a federal holiday, um, tomorrow is tax day. You have the, normally it's the 15th. You have the holiday weekend. Today is a federal holiday. So tomorrow is the day that you're, the deadline to file your taxes this year. Um, and even though 70% of Americans are expected to receive a refund, according to the IRS, many still miss the cutoff date. Uh, last year, 111 million refunds were issued. This year, I'm going to be one of them, 112, we'll say, um, with uh, an average of a payout of about $2,800. Mine won't be anything approaching that. But for those who are going to miss the deadline, don't panic, but be prepared to act quickly. Some of the things you need to know. The best thing you can do if you know you're going to miss the deadline, file an extension. Now, I used to think, because I've had to do that a couple of times, being one of those people that waits to the last minute, you need to, to uh, realize that filing an extension does not mean that you get an extension on paying taxes that you owe. You file Form 4868 to extend the time for filing the return, and that's fairly easy. The extension could be effective for filing as late as October 16th, so it does give you a good uh, bit of time. There are a variety of reasons people might uh, need to file an extension, but filing for an extension does not mean you also extend the timeline to pay your taxes. So if you think you're going to owe them, you need to send in something, if not the full amount. Um, To have a valid extension, generally you need to pay about 90% of the tax due at the time of your filing. And if you can't do that, pay in as much as you possibly can to avoid some potential late filing and interest charges because they will file, they will charge you a late fee even if you have filed an extension. So filing a 4868 form with payment, which uh, can be done online, will keep you in Uh, the IRS's good graces, at least for the time being. Generally, people who missed the deadline either uh, ran out of time or didn't have the money. That's one of the problems. You should do at least... Uh, or tr- at least try to do the least harm and file as soon as possible, pay the tax as soon as possible, and that may save you some headache as well. If you file and pay late, you're uh, most likely going to have to pay the price for it. The penalty is issued first for filing late. This is 5% of the amount of unpaid taxes each month, by the way, up to a maximum of 25%. And the penalty for paying uh, late is 0.5% of the amount you owe each month, up to a maximum of 25%. Now, if both penalties are due in the same month, the failure to file penalty uh, is reduced to 0.5%. You can kind of pencil that out. Well, the late filing penalty could actually be higher than the late tax payment penalty. 
So you should file as soon as possible to do the least harm to your personal finances, I think is the theme in this whole thing. The IRS uh, won't forget about your dues, so make sure you address them promptly. Um, let's see if you, uh, if you're not sure what to do or how to handle your financial situation, consult to request help from a qualified professional. And there are many of them licking their lips, uh, just ready to help you uh, through this whole arduous process that costs us a significant amount of uh, money, uh, in the country and, uh, in the shadow of yet another promise that there's going to be tax reform, uh, coming. Now I'm, I'm not holding my breath. For one thing, I probably would pass out. But the other thing is, we've heard those promises before, but one can only hope maybe simplifying our taxes in the days ahead could actually happen. I mean, there was an Easter bunny at the White House lawn, so tax reform could happen. Doubtful, but it could happen. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, 15 minutes after 4 o'clock. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon. Welcome back. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned earlier, we want to give away, um, let's see, a, it's a pass is what it is. So you can stuff your car full of as many people as you like. It's a family car day pass to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Festival. And that is located in Wood, uh, where is it, Clark? Woodburn or Wilson? Woodburn. <laughs> yes, it's in Woodburn. Anyway, I've been many times. It's a wonderful a beautiful place, and we'd like to give away a car pass to our third caller, and that number is 1-800-845-2162, 800-845-2162. You can go to their website, uh, woodenshoe.com, for more information about events they have daily and on the weekends. But we have a pass so that you can bring as many people as you'd like in your vehicle and uh, enjoy the beautiful spring colors of the tulips. And you can, of course, always order them while you're there as well. I always want one of everything, but my... Yard is really quite small, and the chances of my getting them into the ground in a timely manner usually is uh, leave something to be desired. Well, taking a look at some of the news from the last several days, North Korea failed in an attempt to test a ballistic missile over the weekend. The United States is weighing its options. From another story, a top-ranking U.S. military official on the uh, Korean Peninsula said the biggest concern is that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un will miscalculate his chances of winning any military uh, fight against the United States and its ally, South Korea. Lieutenant General Thomas Bergeson, the number two U.S. military of, uh, officer in South Korea, told ABC News Martha Raddatz on This Week Sunday. Well, Vice President Mike Pence, he said the era of strategic patience is over with North Korea. The era of strategic patience. Expressing impatience with the willingness of the North Korean regime to move forward, uh, ridding itself of um, nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles. Mr. Pence, the vice president, told reporters during a surprise visit today to the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea that President Trump is hopeful that China will use their extraordinary levers of pressure to pressure the North to, uh, to abandon their weapons. He said there was a period of patience over the years, but the era of strategic patience is over. He said that the Trump administration hopes their, clar- uh, their clarity will be received in North Korea, adding the U.S. and its allies will achieve its objectives through peaceable means or ultimately by whatever means are necessary to protect South Korea and stabilize the region. Well, the vice president's visit came a day after Pyongyang conducted a failed missile test that the U.S. called a provocation. They're now uh, apparently preparing for another uh, missile test. This one uh, we are hearing, it may be nuclear. The vice president arrived at a Black Hawk helicopter, a uh, by Black Hawk helicopter at Camp 
uh, Boniface in South Korea, the gateway to the DMZ, where he greeted U.S. troops. The vice president received a security briefing from General Vincent Brooks, commander of the U.S. forces there, and visited an observation post in the DMZ. In brief remarks to reporters, the vice president praised the unshakable bond between the U.S. and South Korea, saying that his father served there with the U.S. Army. And on the way here, we actually saw some of the terrain my father fought alongside Korean forces to help earn your freedom. It's a great honor to be with all of your forces. He arrived amid rising tensions between the U.S. and North Korea over its nuclear weapons program. The administration sent an aircraft carrier strike force to the waters off the Korean peninsula last week, and the president has been lobbying China to pressure Pyongyang to scale back its weapons program. The president asserted uh, on Sunday that China was working with the United States on the North Korean problem. His national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, said the U.S. would rely on its allies as well as on China leader, Chinese leadership to resolve the issues with North Korea. Mr. McMaster cited Trump's recent decision to order missile strikes in Syria after a chemical attack blamed on the Assad government as a sign that the president is clearly comfortable making tough decisions. But at the same time, Mr. McMaster said on this week on ABC, it's time for us to undertake all actions we can short of a military option to try to resolve this peacefully. The bottom line, Mr. McMaster said, is to stop the North's weapons development and make the Korean Peninsula nuclear free. It's clear that the president is determined not to allow this kind of capability to threaten the U.S. And our president will make action that is in the best interest of the American people. Now, interestingly, this uh, Looking back, this uh, looks very similar to our effort to prevent Iran from gaining nuclear weapons. And here we find um, North Korea on the uh, verge of not only um, developed nuclear weapons, but the capacity to use them as munitions. Meanwhile, North Korea, according to uh, the Patriot Post, has become increasingly belligerent over the years as pathetic attempts at diplomacy, beginning with Bill Clinton's special emissary, Jimmy Carter, failed to yield the desired results. In Saturday's celebration of the Day of the Sun, the birthday of North Korea's founder, Kim Il-sung, the communist nation held a massive parade to show off its military prowess. This included numerous missiles on display, or at least on faux display, some of which are intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of reaching the U.S. mainland. Though it didn't launch a ballistic missile or conduct a nuclear test on Sunday morning, the North Koreans attempted a missile launch. It exploded almost immediately. That failed launch was timed to coincide with Vice President Mike Pence's departure for South Korea. And again, he made the statement that the uh, era of strategic patience is over. The Trump administration is hoping for and starting to receive cooperation from China. Over the weekend, Air China suspended its Beijing-Pyongyang route, which is a small but clear signal of disapproval. China said the decision was market-based, but coming from a communist nation, that's obviously a smokescreen. Still, the question of whether North Korea will listen. Kim Kim Jong-un is a bit of a loose cannon, and his government isn't responding to Chinese requests for diplomatic meetings. If Kim doesn't settle down, however, Pence offered this warning. Just in the past two weeks, the world witnessed the strength and resolve of our new president in actions taken in both Syria and Afghanistan. North Korea would do well not to test his resolve or the strength of the American forces of the United States in this region. If you're uh, struggling with things to pray about, well, this might be one of the things toward the top of your list. Meanwhile, as tensions with North Korea mount, 
Hawaii lawmakers anxiously are dusting off the state's emergency plans in preparation for the possibility, however remote, of an attack on the islands. The plans were last revisited in the 1980s, but the Hawaii House Public Safety Committee on Thursday formally called for the state's defense agency to repair their uh, hundreds of Cold War-era fallout shelters and restock them with medical supplies, food, and water. They haven't been updated since 1985, said one representative, a Democrat who serves as vice chair of the committee. Uh, speaking to Hawaii News Now, I was 11 years old when these were last updated. Many of the buildings that are on the fallout shelter list don't exist anymore. And while the bellicose threats and display of weapons capability in Pyongyang are playing out on the other side of the world for most Americans, Hawaii residents, some old enough to remember the last time their home was at the, at the front lines, see the dispute much differently. Honolulu is roughly 4,600 miles from the North Korean capital of Pyongyang. A North Korean missile launched Sunday to showcase the country's nuclear and missile capabilities in honor of the birthday of its founders um, uh, failed just seconds after launch. Uh, but it, uh, it, we've been told that additional tests are being done even as we speak. So in Hawaii, this is more than just a, a bout of saber rattling. It means the possibility of much more, even though it is still quite remote. Meanwhile, President Trump has a simple message for the complex North Korean conundrum. Gotta behave. That's a direct quote. Uh, President Trump gave his two-word prescription on Monday morning when asked by a reporter at the White House during the Easter egg roll. The president has been tweeting warnings at North Korea for weeks as the the dictatorship ramps up its provocative missile tests. Vice President Pence, uh, speaking at the demilitarized zone, uh, zone rather, put a few more words uh, to it. He reiterated that all options are on the table. A day earlier, the deputy national security advisor uh, says that the North uh, is a problem for everybody in the region and that uh, we are looking to greater cooperation on the part of China. Well, one can only hope and certainly pray that they will be able to resolve this using a political solution with a credible threat of uh, deterrence that the uh, president and the current administration has uh, is attempting to make clear to the North. Well, coming up, we're going to talk with uh, Michelle Lynn Center. She is the author of The Unseen Companion, God with the Single uh, Mother. She was a single mother. She says that many, like herself, feel overwhelmed, ill-equipped, and alone. You wonder, God, where are you in the middle of this? Well, she's been there as a single mom, and like the wise, uh, funny friend uh, we all want, she offers hope and honesty all through the lens of God's Word. She's going to join us in just a, a, a few minutes to talk about her book, uh, the Unseen Companion, God with the Single Mother. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Did you know that single moms account for one in four households here in the United States and that the median income for families led by a single mother was one-third the median of married couples' families, nearly half with an annual income of less than $25,000? Well, Michelle Centers, author of The Unseen Companion, God with a Single Mother, knows the loneliness of being a single mom. By age 32, she had lived in six states, 14 cities, 33 houses, 
Emotional abuse, addiction, stalking, and divorce dominated her years of mothering two young girls. She is an educated professional, yet on a daily basis for almost nine years. She fought situational poverty, isolation from the church, and emotional trauma. Well, in her book, The Unseen Companion, it's not only her story, it's also a testimony to God's love and faithfulness for single mothers. As Michelle writes, God took all that was broken within me, all that was missing, wounded, forgotten, and shattered, and transformed it into a life of beauty and purpose. Well, Michelle Lynn Centers raised two daughters on her own and experienced many issues common to single mothers. She is the founder and director of SEEN, a ministry designed to demonstrate the love of Christ to single mothers and equip churches to meet their spiritual needs. She's a popular Bible study teacher and sought-after speaker at women's uh, events and writers' conferences. She joins us today to talk about her book, The Unseen Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Georgine. You paint such a a vivid picture of what uh, life is like when you're struggling as a single parent uh, and not necessarily aware of that unseen companion that you write about Mm -hmm. uh, in your book. Um, You describe yourself as a professional, and for some of our single moms listening, they might tune out and think, well, she was a professional. She had much more opportunity than I uh, have or will ever have. Mm -hmm. What do you say about about your struggles as a mom uh, on your own raising your girls? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I am a professional in that I am an elementary school teacher, and I felt fortunate to be able to have that profession. But it didn't prevent me from falling into situational poverty on a, on a regular basis and, and feeling the same struggles that, that most single parents do, um, not having child support most of the time, just, just the, all the struggles that single moms go through. I went through, um, oh, my gosh, it, it was just a very difficult period of, of time for me. And one of the comments that I hear most often um, about the book is that they that single moms feel like someone finally understands. I did not shy away from from expressing the difficulties or my shame or my fault for you know mistakes that I made and struggling in this journey. And um, one one single mom even went so far as to say that it was a book that helped the reader feel heard for the first time. And um, I took that to heart. That, that that did a lot for me. It made it all worthwhile, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I found this, uh, I'm not a single mom, but I think it reading mm-hmm. the book helped better understand the unique challenges that friends who are yes. single moms face. And to be perhaps a, a better friend uh, in that process with, with greater understanding. And I know part of your goal is also to help the church better understand how they can minister to single mm-hmm. moms. Absolutely. A lot of times we don't know how to come along with a single mother. Um, although I've been remarried now um, six years, my heart is still, uh, for the single mom, I often say it, it's my language of fluency. It's what I understand best and who I'm called to minister to. But a lot of times the church... Um, I, I think being a single mom, it's such a commonplace thing in our country. It's something that's so widely accepted, and, and as long as you have a job and a roof over your head, people want to assume you're doing just fine. And a lot of single moms, particularly those who fall within the middle-class um, socioeconomic basis, who tend to fall into poverty um, with different situations that happen, I think what happens is that a lot of times single moms are afraid to reach out, afraid to ask for help. And 
if they're like me, they, you know, pulled up their pants and it's just like, I'm going to plow through this. I'm fine. People would ask me, how are you doing? And, and I would just put on that face, that smile and just say, we're doing fine. We're doing great. And I didn't want to be a burden to anybody. So I was afraid to ask for help. And I think if people want to really come alongside single moms, they, they would implore a little bit more and just say, you know, tell me really, how are you? Or come sit with us at church. A lot of times the church can be the loneliest place in the world for the single mom. And, and many fall away from the church during that time. But having someone to sit next to or just knowing that someone's going to ask about you and your kids and really care enough to listen makes a tremendous difference in the life of a single mother. The theme of your book really is uh, that you are not alone as a single mom. You begin in your introduction, you write, you probably don't have time to read this book. And quite honestly, I struggle (laughs) to find the time to write it. So that may be a little bit of a challenge for the single mom. But later you write, there's little time to do the things you must, much less the things you might that might nurture and feed your soul. But you, my new friend, are worth nurturing. And that's a message that single moms need to know. There's so much that can overwhelm, and yet there must be time taken uh, to nurture and to uh, to affirm and to build up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, the, the sweetest part of being a single mom for me was learning about God and His closeness. I think oftentimes we misconstrue construe God's closeness to us by our situation. If we are struggling financially or if we have gone through abuse or shame or, or sin, it is very easy in this, in this day and age to just assume that God has removed His hand from us or that He's removed Himself from our presence or no longer sees or hears us. But that couldn't be further from the truth. I, I guess I just realized there was a difference between God's presence and our proximity meaning God is ever-present. There's nothing that we can do that would make Him stop loving us or remove His hand from us. He's hidden only behind the thin veil. But He gives us the right to choose our proximity to Him, our level of closeness, our, our position towards Him, if we're facing Him or if our back is turned to Him, if we're engaging in conversation. And that gracious gift He gives us um, is, is beautiful. But, but in a sense... If, if women don't realize his accessibility, he can seem far, far away. Mm. And it just is a matter of taking steps closer and, and getting to know who, who God is and his thoughts for the single mom. Yeah. A lot of times we take society's view or a perception of society's viewpoint about single moms and believe that that's how God must feel about us, too. Yeah. And, and learning about our identity in Christ is one of the best things a single mother can do for herself. You write that he is with you. He hears every cry and whispered prayer. He watches over you and your children. And if you are willing, this unseen companion will help you build a strong home for your family. Take a deep breath and let this truth settle within your heart. You are not alone. That's uh, beautifully mm-hmm. written. Your first chapter is the longing for home. Now, most single fa- single um, parent families have a house, but you make a distinction between just having a place to reside and that sense of home that every heart longs for. Absolutely. I, it was really interesting. As a child, I grew, I grew up um, moving all the time. As, as you mentioned in the introduction, I have moved dozens and dozens of times that continued on through my marriage. And there was always this longing to be rooted 
someplace established and to know my neighbors and to know the neighborhood and develop long-term relationships. And, and that was something I never had. And um, what I found in this search for home, especially as a single parent, um, we were, we'd move around a lot based on where my job was or where I could afford to live, like single, many single mothers do. Um, I longed for something secure and stable and where my kids could make memories. I think we all long for that as, as women in general. That's a universal longing. But what I discovered is that there is a home, a temple God is building within us. And as long as that is secure, as long as we're building our home on the rock that is Christ, it doesn't matter where we live geographically or what house. If we're living in a tiny apartment or a rundown shack or, or the house on the hill, if we are solid and our house is built on the rock of Christ, then we can stand strong and we can withstand those storms. Because inevitably, the single mothers, many single mothers struggle. And the struggles will continue, but we know we can um, stand upright if, if we have him beside us. And that was worth far more, I discovered, than having that dream home. Quite honestly, I'm still renting, still, you know, I'm still longing for that, that place of residence that God has become my home, and that follows me wherever I go. Mm, mm. We're going to take a quick, uh, quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking today with Michelle Lynn Centers. Her book is called The Unseen Companion, God with the Single Mother. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 50 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Michelle Lynn Center. She's the author of The Unseen Companion, God with a Single Mother. Now, at the end of each of your chapters, you have a section that's that's very practical, Home Building 101, and it reflects the section of the book um, that the reader has been in. Talk a little bit about how you intend the book to be used by someone who has little snatches of time but wants to uh, to recognize that unseen companion throughout the, their day. The book is really designed to show um, how we can build a strong family within, you know, what, what is termed usually as a broken family. How can that be a strong family as a single parent? And, and my first goal is to feed that single mama, to let her know that God is with her. And, and as you may have noticed in the book, it is, there are so many scriptures in the book, and that was really my food during, during my time as a single mom. It is what sustained me. You know, when, when you've gone through things like I have, like the verbal abuse, there are lies that are embedded into our head about who we are and who, what God thinks of us, what, what other people think of us. And when I tried to battle that by my own thinking, um, I'd always fall short. I'd almost always come into agreement with the enemy. <laughs> and what happens is when you replace those thoughts with God's Word, it gives you power. It gives you that um, that sort of a spirit, that mm-hmm. truth that we can battle with. And so the book is really designed to put the Word of God in a practical way into the hands of single moms or really anybody who wants to read the book. And and then also at the end when we have, you know, Home Building 101, that's where we take it a step further. And now how can I apply this into my life so that it's practical? My story is in the book, but really it was only there to, you know, serve as a vehicle to bring someone to Christ and to, to show where he is in the midst of this mess. And then at the very end of each chapter is, is legacy building. Now, how do we take this knowledge and bring it on to our children? 
because because we have a legacy to build. We have there's abuse cycles to break. There are we want something different for our for our children, and how can we go about doing that? And so that's really the way the book was designed. And it's possible. I think it's important to just emphasize that it's possible. If you're a single mom, if you've heard the statistics, if you're uh, Mm -hmm. feeling overwhelmed, it is possible to have that kind of a home and that kind of walk with God. It is, absolutely. I mean, certainly, I made so many mistakes. You know, for those, you mentioned earlier that for those single moms who might feel that I might be in a different category because um, I was middle class or had a professional job, I fell into situational poverty all the time. I've had my lights turned off. I know what it's like to not have enough food where, or, you know, a lot of middle class single moms, when they fall into situational poverty, they don't qualify for financial assistance or government assistance. So there, there's no other resources. So there'd be times that, that the cupboards were completely bare to, to feed my children something. And I, I remember once, you know, returning a coat to Walmart <laughs> to get some money, you know, $12 to buy enough food for two weeks. I, you know, it is only by the grace of God that we were sustained during that time. But what he taught me in the midst of it was so beautiful and just so precious to me, I really wouldn't have changed a thing. Two parts of your book I wanted to emphasize before we mm-hmm. run out of time. And one is a foundation, the second part of your book in which you emphasize a balance. Define what that means in the, a single parent household and what it mm-hmm. is uh, that, that a single mom should be looking for under the category of balance. A lot of times when we think of balance, we keep thinking about keeping all of our plates in the air. How do we manage Mm -hmm. homework and finances and job and, you know, pressures from maybe an ex and just everything that you are suddenly responsible for. It's very easy for the single mom to feel like she has the weight of the world on her shoulders. And so we tend to think in this country that balance is like the equal distribution of our time and energy and money into equal parts of our lives and just keeping it all maintained. What I've discovered is that there was always areas that were lacking in my life. There was nothing that, you know, it was almost like whack-a-mole, you know, one mole, you know, that old game that people used to play and yeah. smack down the mole. And I could never keep anything afloat. I could never keep it together. So what I found in my search for balance was really, as I mentioned earlier, having my feet planted firmly on the rock that is Christ. That is my foundation, and balance no longer meant evenly distributing everything and and keeping everything under order. Um, no one's really capable of doing that all the time. It was more about who, where is my foundation? What am I standing on? Mm-hmm. And is it something that's solid or am I standing on the sand that will wash away with the first storm? Because I knew if I was standing on the rock that is Christ, then no matter what storm came my way, um, I knew I would be okay. I knew um, my children and I, our family unit, could withstand it. And um, that's come to pass. And, and not everything's perfect. We're still working through things. But, but it's good. It's good. And God is with us. And that's enough. Yes. The other chapter um, or part of the book I wanted to uh, talk about was the adornment, uh, the chapter mm-hmm. on identity. And that can sometimes be a real challenge when you're a single parent and the, the presumption of others might weigh heavily on yes. on you as well as your own feeling and sense of, of failure or, or incompleteness. Talk mm-hmm. a bit about identity from the vantage point of a single uh, mom raising children. 
sure. Um, identity is a huge issue, mm-hmm. um, yes. and that was very difficult for me. I underwent, uh, went through severe um, verbal abuse, and the words that were spoken over me, I, I wore like tattered clothing around my shoulders. It became who I was, and I could no longer see myself any different. And so when I became a single mother, that identity just didn't go away because the verbal abuse had stopped. That reta- that remained. And so what I had to do was learn how to replace the lie with the truth found in God's Word. And if anybody listening is, is struggling in that area, who am I really and, and really um, battle those negative thoughts about oneself? And some of it's based on truth. Some of it is based on our failures and our inabilities and our struggles. Um, I encourage you to, to search the Bible on what does God have to say about you. I am not, you know, one of the worst things I was ever told was that I was complete nothingness. And, and that just crushed my spirit. And I, I believe it, though I embrace that as truth. But learning that I was a beloved daughter of a king, an heir to the kingdom. I have a section at the very back um, of the book that's called Identity in Christ. And women can go through and just underline all those verses in their Bible and discover who they truly are. Um, and, and then when they look in the mirror, they see someone different. They see someone being made anew each and every day into his image. Mm. You conclude the book um, in the seventh part, uh, Settling In, and it's the blessing. Mm. And that's oftentimes something mm-hmm. I think single moms imagine um, they will never enjoy. But there is a blessing that God intends. Oh, there is. And and really, that is knowing that He is with us and that His love just... Oh, my heart just breaks right now, and I'm almost drawn to tears as I think of those moms, maybe driving, that single mom who's driving to work right now or driving home from work, getting ready to pick up her kids, or that that um, grandmother who's thinking of her daughter and her kids. God is so near. And, and maybe I can end with Ephesians um, 3, 16 through 19. This is a blessing that God gives us. He says, I pray that out of His glorious riches, he, God, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that is my prayer for for every woman woman listening today, is that they might be filled in those voids and those dark places and those empty places, that they might be filled in a supernatural way with God's love and realize that they are enough, that they have enough because they are with God. Mm. Again, the title of the book, The Unseen Companion, my guest, Michelle Lynn Centers. Thank you so much for uh, talking with us today, but also for ministering to single moms all across the country. Oh, thank you so much, Georgine. God bless you. God bless you, too. Mm. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. Hey, I want to remind you this November you can experience Israel. It's a once in a lifetime trip to the Holy Land with Genesis Tours and teaching pastor Sean Thornton. You'll enjoy over 10 exciting days. You'll tour Israel, experiencing the wonder of the Bible 
Coming alive, you can find out more at kpdq.com. Enter the keyword Israel for all the details and registration. Don't miss the opportunity to travel during Jerusalem's 50th anniversary celebration. We'll explain what 50th anniversary means since Jerusalem has been around a lot longer than that, but it's in relationship to the uh, one of the wars fought by Israel. Anyway, that's coming up during this trip in 2017. Again, you can find out more at kpdq.com, keyword Israel. Also, uh, today we're going to be giving away, well, three additional car passes to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm in Woodburn. It's a wonderful place to enjoy the things that make spring in the Northwest the very best. They have acres of uh, beautiful, expansive views, fresh flowers, food, fun for the entire family. They open daily in April with special activities and events on the weekends. You can find out more at their website, woodenshoe.com. But we'd love to give away a, a car pass, a family car day pass to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Festival. We'll give that away to the uh, second caller and the number 1-800-845-2162, 800-845-2162. And this hour, we'll give away two additional family car passes to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Festival. Again, that number, 1-800-845-2162, the second caller. Well, a lot has uh, gone on over the last uh, several days, and we're trying to catch up at least on some of it. We enjoyed some time off on Good Friday uh, but um, we'll try to cover some of the highlights uh, in a victory for Islamist President Recep um, Erdogan. Uh, the Turkish voters have decided by a narrow margin to usher in a constitutional series of changes that give him additional power. Now, this is significant because Turkey uh, is uh, strategic in uh, in Europe. They have for uh, quite some time uh, been engaged in a campaign um, uh, between NATO uh, to try to join NATO and its European partners. Um, uh, this would be the only Muslim member state and the European partners are having some some difficulty. Well, the deep divisions at home are reflected in the uh, results early Monday morning. Fifty one point one eight percent voted yes. Forty eight point eight two voted no of some forty seven point five million votes cast and a turnout of around eighty four percent. The difference between the camps was one point three million votes, even though the percentages wouldn't necessarily reflect that according to the state's news agency. Well, a majority of voters in Turkey's three largest cities, Istanbul, Ankara, and Izmir, voted no. Also voting against the changes were Turks based in the United States, where just over 20,000 Turkish voters, 82% voted no. And of the Turks eligible to vote in Western Europe, by contrast, sizable majorities there voted for the changes in favor of what the president was looking for in terms of expanded power. In Germany and the Netherlands, whose governments clashed with Erdogan over a to promote the yes vote among Turks living there, 63.2% and 69.9% respectively voted yes. Well, the 18-point proposal uh, will move Turkey from a parliamentary to an executive presidential system, one that critics fear will be short on checks and balances and could compromise judicial independence. And it's been moving in a direction that's been worrying to many there and abroad as well. Looming large over the process and feeding those fears has been the incumbent president whose autocratic tendencies and crackdown on dissent, uh, some have described as a purge of potential rivals, have set off alarm bells all around the world. Erdogan has dominated Turkish politics uh, since becoming the prime minister in 2003, serving in that post until 2014 when he was elected president. Under the changes, should he wish to, he could remain at the helm until 2029. So he has job security for as long as he wants it, right up until 2029. By contrast to his fiery and often provocative rhetoric during the campaign when he accused some European governments of acting like Nazis and lumped his domestic opponents with terrorists, he 
his victory speech was relatively subdued. He thanked citizens for participating, however they voted, called the outcome a major sign that our nation is protecting its future. While the ruling by the Justice and Development Party and the Opposition Nationalist Movement Party promoted the yes vote, while the main opposition Republicans People Party and the pro-Kurdish People's Democratic Party opposed those changes, the EU Executive Commission responded to the unofficial results by the uh, by appealing to the Turkish government to seek national consensus as the changes move ahead. In other words, uh, the Turkish government doesn't have to take advantage of all the uh, the the uh, capacities that were granted to it, uh, but has the option to do so. So the EU Executive Commission is, uh, in their response uh, to the unofficial re- uh, results, is suggesting caution moving forward. In view of the close referendum result and the far-reaching implications of the con- constitutional amendments, we also call on the Turkish authorities to seek the broadest possible national consensus in their implementation. Well, the EU Commission also said it was awaiting the evaluation of international observers with regard to the voting exercise and uh, alleged irregularities. Well, Turkey, more than a decade ago, began a lengthy process of sinking member, uh, membership rather to the EU. But some observers feel that uh, Erdogan's uh, behavior and crackdown after that failed coup attempt last year, you might recall, his verbal attacks on key EU members like Germany have set back that campaign. The U.S. has historically supported Turkey's aspirations to join the European Union. Not clear where the U.S. would stand on that at this point. But that um, election having... Uh, having taken place does grant the uh, the president uh, broader powers uh, that moves it even uh, gives him the capacity to move the nation even closer to an Islamist state. Well, Congress is on vacation again. And while getting well, politicians out of Washington has its benefits, this year's break is, well, rather ill-timed. When members of Congress reconvene on the 25th of this month, they'll have just four days to keep the government from shutting down As last year's continuing resolution expires, of course, last year they didn't come up with a budget and before that they didn't come up with a budget. So these continuing resolutions have kept the government going, but without a budget. Well, the importance of tackling budget issues is even more symbolic power this time around where the government to uh, were to shut down. It would come to President Donald uh, on President Donald Trump's 100th day in office. And, of course, uh, that will be a big media event for not only the president, but for the Republicans. Now, once Congress does come back to town, don't expect either party to panic over an impending government shutdown. In particular, the Democrats have the most to gain from a shutdown, although it won't be blamed on them. They'll get credit with the base uh, for the great resistance against Trump. Uh, all while um, their accomplices in the press make sure Republicans get the blame. But what about Republicans? After all, they control the House, the Senate, and the uh, Senate, and well, I should say the White House, that's Senate and the House. Are they to blame? We can uh, rely on the GOP leadership to address this critical issue, right? Well, not necessarily. Remember, this is the same Republican Congress that failed to agree on a bill to replace Obamacare after seven years of promises, which now jeopardizes the tax reform or anything else of substance. Well, thanks to the uh, ineptitude of last year's Congress to reach an actual budget agreement, we're on the precipice of yet another government shutdown. Now, in order to keep the government operating beyond the 29th of April, Congress has to vote on a budget or pass another continuing resolution in order to raise the debt ceiling, something that Republicans said they would not do if they were given control over the uh, the House and the Senate. Well, in layman's terms, our elected officials are about to kick the can down the road once again. Uh, it's what they do best, and frankly, it's what most voters want them to do. Everybody wants cuts until their favorite program is on the chopping block, and every program is somebody's favorite. So it's very difficult for them to uh, make the changes that many say 
in general they would like to see made. Republicans are simply too divided to agree on the budget. Some members are refusing to back any measures that defunds Planned Parenthood. Others won't compromise on defense and security spending. And the president wants billions for the border security and the wall. Democrats want, uh, with everything to gain from a shutdown, oppose just about anything the Republicans might want in a budget bill or a continuing resolution. And suddenly they have switched sides with the Republicans under the previous administration. They have become the party of no. Well, even if Republicans can muster the courage to come up with a bill, they'll need 60 votes in the Senate. That's right. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer is licking his chops. Last month, he said if Republicans insist on inserting poison pill riders, such as defunding Planned Parenthood, building a border wall, starting a deportation force, they will be shutting down the government and delivering a severe blow to our economy. In other words, the the Democrats will not support that. As far as the Democrats are concerned, it's their way or the highway. We've seen this uh, play before, only different actors. Well, House Speaker Paul Ryan sees the writing on the wall, and he's already signaling that health care, the border wall and tax reform, they're going to have to wait again. Imagine that. Republicans who now hold all the reins of power still have to yield to Democrats in Congress to get anything done. Well, there's a simple reason for this. When it comes time to get things done or to stop them, Democrats march in lockstep. Republicans, in contrast, are a herd of cats scattering in hundreds of directions, and it's difficult to herd them into the same direction. Now, what should worry Americans more than a temporary government shutdown is the long-term impact of our country's ever-growing debt. The overall share of the national budget needs... uh, Needed just to service the debt will grow significantly in the coming years, leaving less funding for the military, for infrastructure and other projects. Doesn't matter what's important to you. It won't matter because we won't have the funds to cover it. Well, as the Cato Institute's Michael Tanner writes in the National Review, all of this budget maneuvering comes shortly after the Congressional Budget Office released an alarming new report warning that the national debt will double as a share of the national economy by mid-century. Interest payments on the debt will rise from $270 billion in 2017 to $768 billion in 2027, with catastrophic consequences for President Trump's agenda of economic and job growth. Well, the irony is that government shutdowns, which are usually short-lived and really have very little impact on the country, are characterized as the fall of the Roman Empire. Meanwhile, the long-term federal debt, which has the potential to seriously impact the economy, infrastructure, national defense, and other major initiatives, isn't even a priority. So we'll see what happens when they return in a couple weeks. My guess is they'll kick the can down the road. 17 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 21 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Want to take a moment and give away our third um, car pass. It's a family car day pass to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Festival in Woodburn. They're open uh, every day through the end of the month, and we'd love to give away a car pass for you. You can have as many people in that vehicle as you'd like, as big a vehicle as you'd like, uh, to enjoy the uh, Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm Festival. Uh, We want to give these away to caller number five and the number to call 1-800-845-2162, 800-845-2162. You can join them all the rest of this month, all things that make the spring here in the Pacific Northwest the best. They've got acres of beautiful tulips, um, fresh flowers, food, fun for the entire family. They're open daily through the end of the month with special activities and events on weekends. You can check them out for details on what's happening when at woodenshoe.com. They also have a gift shop there. They've got some beautiful things uh, in the gift shop. Maybe I'll run into you there. We haven't made our trek out there yet. 
Anyway, caller number 5-1-800-845-2162, 800-845-2162. We were talking about the fact that Congress is on vacation again. Um, just one uh, other comment I wanted to mention. Um, chances are Republicans are going to go for a minimum damage to their brand, work with the Democrats to pass a continuing resolution before the 29th. That's the uh, drop dead date. Gabrielle Levy writes in U.S. News and World Report that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York, they've been negotiating for months on a deal to fund the government and uh, have told reporters the talks have made significant progress ahead of the deadline, which, of course, is just four days after they return. And while that may seem to be a positive development, Development, a short-term deal this month will only set the stage for a real budget battle later this year, something that they have uh, kicked down the, uh, the road for some time now. I'm not sure how many continuing resolutions this makes on this particular budget, budget but it, uh, it continues. Well, New Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch is set to make a major impact on the Supreme Court in his first week of oral arguments. And by the way, he had lots of questions this time around. He apologized for speaking too much. It includes a major religious liberty case that conservatives hope will swing the uh, the direction now that the appeals uh, uh, court judge has added uh, has been added to the bench and the Supreme Court has a full complement. For the first time in more than a year, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments this week with a full complement of nine justices. Oral arguments in Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia versus Comer uh, was heard uh, or will be heard rather on Wednesday when the high court will seek to decide whether Missouri violated the Constitution in its decision to bar a church from a state program that gives nonprofits funding uh, to resurface their playgrounds. Now, Missouri's Constitution includes a provision that prevents public funds from directly or indirectly assisting any church, sect or religion. So to find out if this particular um, uh, I guess you couldn't necessarily say secular, but this um, uh, daycare that's overseen by the Lutheran Church is what's being decided upon. Well, the high court ruling in the Trinity Lutheran case could have a widespread impact on three dozen other states with similar provisions in their state constitutions, and the decision could be narrowly decided. The court agreed to hear the case before Justice Antonin Scalia died, but the justices waited to hear oral arguments for several months, which allowed nine of them to again be seated on the bench. Well, the court never gave any explanation for why it delayed scheduling the oral arguments, but the natural inference is that scheduling was delayed because the court felt that it needed a ninth uh, justice to decide. Uh, That's the chairman of the Baker Bratz Supreme Court and Constitutional Law Practice in a phone uh, interview with reporters. Now, I don't think that they would have taken an internal vote uh, to um, uh, determine a preliminary vote. That sort of thing is not done until all the merits of the briefs are in, the oral arguments have been heard, and so on. But it does suggest that the Chief Justice, who would take the lead on scheduling cases, had at least some concern that this could end up 4-4 decision, uh, such that it would be helpful to have a ninth justice in place. Well, um, that is, in fact, what will happen. The Judicial Crisis Network Chief Counsel Carrie Severino said she thought Gorsuch would be unlikely to rule any differently from Scalia. However, she said she thought Gorsuch's presence on the court could have a serious impact on how it decides the case. I think this is a case where, and uh, we'll know a little more during the oral arguments, where it seems like you ought to be able to uh, get some liberal votes, some uh, who attend to uh, be on the left side of the court. However, if Gorsuch weren't in the court and this did break down 4-4, uh, then this kind of case where you could uh, have had an evenly split court and Justice Gorsuch 
uh, would be a key deciding vote on that case. So he may have an impact. Liberals are concerned about how Gorsuch may affect the decision in the Trinity Lutheran case and similar controversies. Uh, The American Constitutional Society um, President Carolyn Fredrickson said Gorsuch may be more solicitous of religious people's uh, concerns than Scalia. Gorsuch's record shows that he is extraordinarily solicitous to those who express a religious belief to the detriment of others whose rights have been affected, she is quoted as saying. So I think there's certainly a a great deal of concern about his uh, pushing the court in that direction even further, end quote. Well, Severino said she thought the case should be open and shut, but Justice Anthony Kennedy could serve as a swing vote, as he often is. Kennedy often serves as the fence-sitting capacity on contentious issues, and many conservatives hope that Gorsuch's status as a former Kennedy clerk means that he can woo him to the right. Kennedy swore in uh, Gorsuch at the White House last week. We'll see what actually happens, and the uh, speculation ends. Well, Democrat John Ossoff um, has a slim chance to make Republican congressional seat in uh, Georgia a Democrat seat, although many are arguing whether or not this is a referendum on the Trump administration and gives us any indication of what to expect during the midterm elections. But even if a Democrat emerges as the top vote getter in this Georgia special congressional election tomorrow, the race is almost certain to go to a runoff where Republican strategists say they're going to prevail and notch another win for President Trump. Referendum? Well, not so much, but it's always a notch in the belt of whoever side um, emerges the winner. Well, Democrat John Ossoff is a former congressional aide and first-time candidate. He's leading the polls, but would have to win more than 50% of the vote to claim outright victory. That's unlikely in a field of nearly 20 candidates, and Republicans are hoping that in a one-on-one matchup, they can uh, close the gap before the June 20th runoff. Well, is Ossoff uh, doesn't put this away on Tuesday. He's not going to win, says one Georgia-based Republican Party strategist. If it gets to a runoff, the Republican will win. Well, liberal pressure groups have nationalized the race in the state's 6th Congressional District, a seat most of us don't know anything about or care little about, a seat made open by the appointment of Representative Tom Price as Health and Human Services Secretary. They believe that putting Mr. Ossoff over the top would be a rejection of the Trump agenda and could scare Republicans from aggressive moves. A Republican loss here would send a bitter rebuke to the entire Republican Party that Americans across the country do not support their radical anti-worker agenda, says a spokesperson for the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. Eleven Republicans are running for the seat in an increasingly nasty race for second place and the chance to face off Mr. Ossoff, which explains at least in part why uh, Mr. Ossoff is winning in a a predominantly Republican area at this point. Polls suggest the contest within the contest has boiled down to a battle between former Secretary of State Karen Handel, who has the support of former Senator Saxby Chambliss, former State Senator Dan Moody, who has the backing of Senator David Perdue, State Senator Judson Hill, who has the support of former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, and Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, and Johns Creek City Council Member Bob Gray, who has the support of the Club for Growth. Wow, I don't uh, envy Georgian Republicans trying to decide who they're going to support. Ms. Handel has uh, taken the most arrows. Mr. Moody, Mr. Gray, Mr. Hill, as well as the anti-tax club for Grope have attacked her, casting her as a self-interested career politician. In the meantime, the group called Ending Spending, which is funded by... um, the owners of the Chicago Cub, a family, is running pro-handle ads. So that gives you just a brief glimpse of the back and forth going on in that Georgia race. Now, again, what's at stake here? Many are suggesting that the first political race following a presidential election is a referendum on this new sitting president. And the suggestion is if this candidate, Mr. 
uh, Ossoff wins as a Democrat in this uh, Georgia GOP area, that says something about the, the nation's acceptance or rejection of the uh, of the Trump administration and Republicans in general. It's a bit of an overstatement, but nonetheless, uh, a lot of hay will be made one way or the other. Republicans at this point are saying it's not that important because of the makeup of the, uh, you know, you've got 20 people running and one on the other side. Uh, on the other hand, if it's one, I, I uh, pro- suggest that we'll hear from Republicans saying that this is a handy win for uh, the president. One way or the other, the election's tomorrow. We'll find out who will replace the uh, Republican that held that seat in the state of Georgia. Oh, 31 minutes after four. That's five o'clock. 31 minutes after five o'clock. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. And we have another um, car pass for the wonderful Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm Festival. So stick around for that. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 37 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Representative Ken Buck, a Republican out of California, or rather Colorado, insists that corruption on Capitol Hill is worse than you think. That's a direct quote. He says when you first get here, you think that you are in some sort of fairy tale novel. They wine you and dine you and show you just exactly what, what it's like to play the game. It's a wonderful life. Things quickly change, however, if you don't play the game. If you don't play the game, it becomes as a much less comfortable existence here, he went on to say. He, uh, who has served uh, Colorado's 4th Congressional District since 2015, he previewed, uh, rather previewed his new book, Drain the Swamp, How Washington's Corruption is Worse Than You Think. By the way, we... I'll have him on our schedule. Uh, Chapters in his book include why Washington is a swamp, play the game or else, beating the Beltway bullies, and what you can do to drain the swamp. He said his book addresses corruption present in government today that he was not prepared for after being elected to Congress in 2014. One of the things that I found startling when I got here is that you have to pay dues to be on the committee. During the time he served in the House Judiciary Committee, he said he had to pay periodic dues of $200,000 to the National Republican Congressional Committee, the campaign committee of the House of Representatives. Now, as a member of the House Rules Committee, uh, his periodic dues are $450,000. Well, the obligation to pay dues, Buck says, forces members of Congress to hold fundraising receptions and encourages corrupt influences from special interest organizations who attend the fundraisers. Who comes to those receptions with checks, he says? Well, lobbyists, special interests that want something in return. So there's a game that goes on that you owe the party money and you're expected to vote with the chairman and you're expected to help special interest groups in Washington, D.C. Well, he said there's also a significant amount of corruption in how Congress justifies spending for new projects or programs. In the book, he lists very specific ways that we need to change the incentives that we have in Congress. He writes about uh, what they call pay-fors. When you have new spending, you find ways to pay for the new spending program. Some of the ways Congress could pay for a new project or program are through tax increases or cuts to other programs, both of which are unlikely. Instead, Congress makes up sources of revenue. He explains, and quoting from the book, so we pass a transportation bill, and in the transportation bill, we say that we're going to sell oil and a strategic petroleum reserve to pay for that transportation bill. Now, what's fascinating about this is that the average price that that oil was purchased at is $76. The price when we sold uh, the oil was $48. Only in government is that considered a profit. 
So you purchase it at 78, you sell it at 48, and that's considered, in government speak, a profit. An issue with the system, Buck said, in this, um, is that revenues for the pay-fors have already been accounted for. One of the problems is that for uh, that barrel of oil that was used in the transportation bill as a pay-for was already sold twice before. Well, this form of governing, Buck says, is irresponsible. If everything's been paid for for so long, how did we get a $20 trillion uh, debt? He asks in the book and answers, by the way, in an effort to bring transparency to the pay for phenomenon. He introduces a bill or rather introduced a bill last Thursday that will require the Office of Management and Budget to track and report the revenue that pay fors actually bring. One of the bills that I uh, recently dropped would would ask the Office of Management and Budget to do an annual report to Congress so it's available to the American people on how much revenue uh, did those pay-fors generate, he says. Well, Buck's goal, he says, is to educate the American people about the corruption in government so they're not as naive as he found himself when he started working in Congress. Before I got here, he said, I knew that D.C. was broken. I didn't know the specifics. I'm hoping that by giving the American public and the specifics, we actually have the record um, uh, out. uh, Well, it might make people more aware. Maybe they can do something about it. Congress worse um, than we think. And again, that book um, is one that we are uh, we've got on the calendar. We'll be talking with him about that and perhaps going into some greater detail. Well, as you know, Carter Page uh, is one of the Trump campaign volunteers, or at least he was one time. He was an advisor on Russia, and there's been a lot of back and forth uh, regarding this Russian dossier and whether or not uh, it is, in fact, reliably uh, providing information about corruption. Well, Carter Page, the Trump campaign one-time volunteer advisor on the subject, um, views with amazement how well, he says much uh, uh, of the Democratic opposition research dossier has been increasingly embraced by the power structure in Washington and calls it completely unreliable. He told the Washington P- Times, rather, that he's stunned because the dossier is completely false and full of lies about his supposed conduct vis-a-vis Russia last summer. The FBI, which obtained a copy of the dossier, has been investigating the conduct since July. He says, and I quote, uh, the mistakes are so laughable and humorous, they're beyond words. Speaking of the dossier, it's just so wild, it's amazing. Well, not one of the sensational allegations in the Democrat-financed memos from the former British spy Christopher Steele has been verified independently, at least publicly, yet Democrats are citing the dossier as a reason to achieve uh, their major political objective, an independent investigative commission on Trump-Russia. Well, Democrats say routinely on cable news channels that some of Mr. Steele's findings have been confirmed, but they do not specify which ones. Mr. Steele's gossipy third-hand anecdotes contain a central allegation. There was an elaborate conspiracy between Trump campaign aides and the highest levels of the Kremlin to hack the Hillary Clinton campaign computers, release stolen emails, and spread disinformation. Mr. Page was smack dab in the middle, says chief accuser Mr. Steele and his a business intelligence firm in London. Well, Mr. Page runs investment firm Global Energy Capital LLC in New York City. Before that, he was an investment banker for Merrill Lynch and spent three years in Moscow last decade making deals with Russian businesses. His knowledge of and communications with Russians is part of his livelihood. He's been doing exactly that, exactly what then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton urged American entrepreneurs to do in 2012 as she stood next to then-Prime Minister Vladimir Putin. We are committed to broadening and deepening ties between our two economies. She said in Moscow, Mr. 
Uh, Mr. Page has been attempting to do that ever since. While the Steele dossier, written as a series of memos during the summer and fall, hit the streets in January via the news website BuzzFeed, whose editor publicly doubted its veracity. Well, the memos contained sensational charges that Mr. Page colluded with Putin's oligarchs. In the Times interview, Mr. Page specifically rebutted all of those accusations, uh, the four main being that Mr. Steele wrote that uh, Paul Manafort, Mr. Trump's summertime campaign manager and Mr. Page formed an alliance to work with Russian intelligence to hack the Clinton campaign. Well, Mr. Page called this assertion ridiculous, referring to himself as a junior paid volunteer. He said he has never met Mr. Manafort. Steele is saying, I'm conspiring with Manafort. It's so fictional. The second Mr. Steele wrote... Um, that during Mr. Page's July trip to Moscow to give a speech at the New Economic School, he held a secret meeting with Igor Sechin, president of the state-owned Rosneft Oil Company and a close ally with President Putin. Mr. Page said he delivered an unpaid speech at the university, a talk that was covered by the news media that day. Mr. Page said he has never met Mr. Sechin. No, I've never met him. He said it's totally false. Mr. Steele also wrote that Mr. Sechin offered Mr. Page a brokerage fee when Russia sold a 19 percent stake of Rosneft to outside investors. In exchange, Mr. Trump advisor was to urge the candidate to end economic sanctions against Russia. Mr. Page said no one ever made such an offer. And in his fourth charge against Mr. Page, Mr. Steele wrote that while in Moscow, Mr. Page also met with a man named Igor something, a Russian official. He supposedly told Mr. Page that the Kremlin had had uh, compromising information on Hillary Clinton, the Democratic presidential nominee, as well as Mr. Trump. Mr. Page said the first he ever heard of Mr. whatever his name is was from the dossier. He told the Times that he had never heard of him. I asked a lot of people I knew in Moscow, all people from the university, some business friends uh, and so on. Have you ever heard of the guy? I'm very careful that the things I say are accurate. I'm, um, uh, I'm going to say I did not meet him. I may have said hello to someone, right? So I wanted to be double, triple, quadruple sure that what I'm saying is accurate. So he says he never met the guy. Well, the committee, uh, or rather an investigation, is moving forward. We're going to take a quick break, just a couple more comments on what that might mean. As the steel paper, as it's uh, referred to, financed by Democrats via the opposition research firm Fusion GPS, has been denounced as inaccurate by some of the news media, by former Obama administration intelligence officials, and by the Trump team. So what's being investigated? We'll talk when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 50 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Want to give away our final pass. Our final pass to the Wooden Shoe Tulip Festival. We're going to give that to the first caller. And this is a, a family car pass. Uh, it's a full day at the Wooden Shoe Tulip Festival in Woodburn. At telephone number 1-800-845-2162. 800-845-2162. By the way, they are open all the way through the end of this month from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily uh, through October the 30th. And or excuse me, oh, this is April through April the 30th. And of course, you can enjoy um, what makes spring so special in the Pacific Northwest. Acres of beautiful tulips, expansive views, fresh flowers, food, fun. They have a gift shop. It's all a great uh, outing at the uh, Tulip Festival at the Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm. All right. We were talking about the steel paper, which is sort of the source of uh, what Democrats suggest is uh, evidence of collusion with the uh, Trump administration. I think if there was collusion, we all want to know about it. Uh, but this source does seem to raise some 
uh, serious questions as to its uh, uh, credibility. John Clapper, former director of national intelligence, said his agency couldn't verify any of Mr. Seal's sources. Former deputy CIA director Michael Morell, a Clinton advisor, said he learned that Mr. Steele did not talk to sources directly, but with paid intermediaries. And on the question of the Trump campaign conspiring with Russians here, there's um, smoke, but there's no fire at all, Mr. Morell said at an event sponsored by security uh, analysis website, the Cypher Brief. There's no little camp fire. There's no little candle. There's no spark. There's uh, a lot of people looking for it, but it's not there. Well, in his most sensational allegation, Mr. Steele wrote that Mr. Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen, met in uh, Prague with Russian intelligence officials. Mr. Cohen has uh, presented evidence that he was in South Carolina at the time. He says he has never been to Prague and showed the campaign his passport to prove it. In other words, a critical meeting uh, evinced a, um, a Trump conspiracy could not have happened, casting doubt on Mr. Steele's investigative methods and other claims of secret get-togethers. What's more, Russian tech CEO Gubard, whose first name I can't really pronounce, is suing Mr. Steele for charging that his firm was involved in Russian-sponsored hacking into Democrats' emails. So from the Russian side, they're they're uh, suing him for his uh, lack of credibility as well, referring to Mr. Steele. Yet Mr. Page watched with amusement on the 20th of March as Democrats on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence read portions of Mr. Steele's dossier into the record as certified facts. They were led by Representative Adam Schiff of California, the committee's ranking Democrat. At the committee's first public hearings in its uh, probe into Russian interference in the November 8th election, Mr. Schiff said Mr. Steele's version of Mr. Page's visit to Moscow, he offered no independent verification. Mr. Schiff gave Mr. Steele credit for knowing the precise share, 19%, that oil company uh, Rosneft planned to sell when, in fact, the Russian government had announced that percentage months before Mr. Steele wrote the memo. It was public knowledge. At the March 20th hearing, FBI Director James Comey announced that he had been authorized by the Justice Department to disclose that the Bureau was investigating any collusion between the Trump campaign and Russian officials. The Washington Post reported this month that the Obama Justice Department obtained a Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act a court warrant to surveil Mr. Page as the foreign agent beginning in July. This was about the same time the FBI obtained the Steele dossier. So there appears to be a, a connection uh, the, the, between the discredited dossier and the um, so-called investigation by the Obama Justice Department. Well, the question some uh, Republicans are asking is, did the Steele dossier prompt the Obama administration to open the investigation into candidate Trump? And did the administration cite information in the dossier as evidence to obtain the warrant? Well, the intrigue grows a bit deeper. The Post reported in February that the FBI reached a financial agreement with Mr. Steele to continue investigating Mr. Trump, despite the fact that his credibility has essentially dissipated. If true, the agreement created the odd marriage of a partisan Democrat paid investigator being hired by the FBI to investigate the future president a few weeks before the election. The deal never went through because the dossier in Mr. Steele's name had become public, the Post reported. Well, the timeline the dossier went public in January would mean that the FBI wanted Mr. Steele to investigate President-elect Trump and ultimately President Trump. The Washington Times asked the FBI to confirm or deny that it had made such a deal, the Public Affairs Office declared. 
declined an answer. Well, the New York Times reported that Fusion uh, GPS and Mr. Steele spread the dossier to journalists and to the FBI. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley, an Iowa Republican, has started pressing the FBI for answers on what role the dossier played as the Bureau made decisions to investigate and surveil Trump aides. Well, the idea that the FBI and associates of the Clinton campaign would pay Mr. Steele to investigate the Republican nominee for president in the run-up to the election raises further questions about the FBI's independence from politics, as well as the Obama administration's use of law enforcement and intelligence agencies for political ends. That's a quote from Mr. Grassley from the uh, uh, letter in early March to Mr. Comey, the bureau's director at the time. Well, he demanded a reply by March the 20th. He asked for documentation of agents' interviews with Mr. Steele. A subsequent Grassley letter said the FBI had missed that deadline a month ago. A key Grassley question, has the FBI relied on or otherwise referenced the memo or any information in the memos in seeking a a FISA uh, warrant, other search warrant, or any other judicial process? He also asked, has the FBI verified or corroborated any of the allegations made in the memos? Were any allegations or other information from the memo included in any other documents and so on? Well, Mr. Grassley on the 24th targeted uh, Democrat Party-linked Fusion GPS run by the former Wall Street Journal reporter. When political opposition research becomes the basis for law enforcement or intelligence efforts, it raises substantial questions about the independence of law enforcement and intelligence from politics, Mr. Grassley wrote to Mr. Simpson. Well, on the 7th of this month, Fusion's attorney of the Washington firm Cunningham Levy Muse LLP wrote to Mr. Grassley saying the company would not answer the chairman's questions. And it goes on. So this is the dossier that sparked what appears to be the investigation under the um, uh, Obama administration, the warrant that was granted under FISA um, that, I suppose you could argue is the crux of this whole thing and the credibility of Mr. Steele has been called into significant question. We'll continue to follow the story as it uh, develops, but this convoluted series of events certainly does raise some serious questions about this whole uh, allegation that was made early on and in collusion rather with the intelligence community and the political aspirations of the uh, Obama administration. Well, taking a quick look at what's coming up uh, the remainder of this week, tomorrow we're going to talk with Michelle Derusha. She's the author of a fascinating book, um, Katharina and Martin Luther, The Radical Marriage of a Runaway Nun and a Renegade Monk. So that's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, We'll talk on Wednesday with Brandon Clements. He's the co-author of The Simplest Way to Change the World. We'll find out what that is. On Thursday, David Brog will join us. Uh, The book is titled uh, Reclaiming Israel's History, Roots, Rights, and the Struggle for Peace. And then uh, we're also going to talk with Alan Hotchkiss, and he's going to bring with him an Africa New Life staffer, Lillian Ueza. We're going to talk about uh, Africa New Life uh, away from the fundraising aspect. They're involved in so many interesting projects there. I invited him to come and join me in studio this week. Uh, to talk about what we don't have an opportunity to talk about during a radio uh, thon format. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. He'll be with me in the second hour uh, on Thursday. And then on Friday, assuming all things are um, in order, we'll uh, lighten up and have a bit of fun on 
Friday. Well, if you haven't yet heard, the deadline to file your taxes this year is April the 18th. That would be tomorrow. About 70% of us are expected to receive a refund, according to the IRS. But lots of folks are going to miss the cutoff date. You can file for an extension, but that does not give you an extension to pay your taxes without penalty and interest. So if you're planning on filing an extension, you need to do that, but also send in the full amount you anticipate being uh, uh, charged or at least a portion of it. That deadline coming up tomorrow. Well, I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll talk with Michelle DeRusha, Catherine, uh, Katharina, and uh, Martin Luther, the radical marriage of a runaway nun and renegade monk. A little bit of the personality behind the Reformation, or at least elements of it. That's coming up tomorrow. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering, James Blind for producing today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.